Assalamualaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope and we just sit back and have a conversation on what it means to live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. People, welcome to Season 10. Can you believe this is my 10th year podcasting? And I hope this year, inshallah, is going to be bigger and better and more focused in providing so much more value to the you. And now, if this is your first time, people, understanding that this is a business podcast for educators. You will not hear about 60 apps in 60 minutes here or how to Googleize your classroom unless you are getting paid to teach someone or coach someone how to do it. Today's guest is Dr. Akila Willery. We're going to be talking about uh, her transition, her work to becoming an entrepreneur, the work that she is doing and getting other gems for her uh, about money mindset, about multiple streams of income, and about how you as an educator should be thinking of yourself as a business of one. So for those who be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, and Spotify, will you please introduce yourself, Dr. Akila? Well, Dr. Will, first of all, congratulations on 10 years. I just want to say one day I want to be sitting in that seat. And I, I won't even say one day. This year, I'm planning to be sitting in that podcast seat. So just know that doesn't matter where you are, what you're doing. You don't know who's watching. You don't know who's inspired. So I, I just want to congratulate you on 10 years of doing the good work. But, Thank you. Hey, yeah. And and to to continue to uplift the message to uh, educators, that is definitely where I am. I am still consider myself an educator. You know, of course, the entrepreneur title is very fitting because my network is still educators. But it's a mix of educators, business owners, founders, things like that. And my new mission is just to make educators see their power. I personally am one of those folks. I, I truly believe that educators, it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're five years in the classroom or five years outside of the classroom into retirement or whatever. I consider this the most talented pool of people, professionals, anywhere. And I, I love to challenge folks and say that, did you know that the average teacher has more education and certifications just to get an interview, let alone be proficient in their work? And there's so much that gets squeezed into a particular form, a particular box once we go into the education field, that we start to put on blinders of all the other things that are possible with our careers, with our uh, income possibilities, and I just want to I just want to turn that light on for a few folks so that they can can step into their power. It's all right. Now I'm always curious as to how people got to where they are. What did you think you would be doing when you were growing up and what attracted you to a career in education? Uh, it wasn't education. I, I did not plan on going into education, but that's probably the default answer that a lot of people have. I think when when I was really, really young, I had this really grandiose idea that I was going to be a pilot. 
and did absolutely nothing towards that goal. I just love saying it. I'm going to be a pilot one day. <laughs> but when I got to college, uh, I was actually a journalism major. So I spent most of my high school years just you got to understand that this was during the Oprah era. So everybody thought they were going to be the next Oprah. And of course, little black girl in Texas, I was going to be the next Oprah. I was doing all sorts of speaking events. I was writing. I was yearbook editor, all that jazz. And so, of course, when I got to undergrad, that's what I decided to study was journalism and communications. And once I got there, did not like it and found myself taking history classes kind of just for fun, which, I mean, I don't know what kind of nerd that puts me on the scale as, but I enjoyed the history classes. So by the time I got so deep into undergrad and met with an advisor and they're like, hey, you have too many history credits. You've taken too many African-American studies classes. The only way you're going to graduate is if you declare yourself uh, a history major. So in order to graduate, that's what I was. And with a history degree, I really didn't know what else to do with it. I was either going to be a starving writer or I was going to be a teacher. So teaching one out. And it was it was something that I did not expect to enjoy as much as I did. But it was it was a very, very wise choice at the time. Mm. So you were a classroom teacher, and I know that you made a transition into working for an ed tech company. So before we get into your company, we have seen an influx of teachers, especially when the lockdown came about of teachers oh, yeah. sort of moving into that space. Mm -hmm. And then there are other educators that I know that are looking to do that because, hey, who hasn't gone to a conference and who hasn't mm -hmm. sat there in that school district and you showing up and some ed tech company yep. is there mm -hmm. and you're sitting there and you have all this experience with teaching uh, with this tool, with their platform. And you may be thinking, Hey, it'd be nice to kind of travel around and to do that. I got that. Mm -hmm. um, for those educators who are thinking that might be a possibility for them, what should their thought process be about sort of, that transition and navigating that transition and how do they make themselves attractive mm -hmm. to a company that though their quote unquote business baby ed tech, it is a business and not a school. It's very different. Uh, the corporate space that is you are an ambassador for a product or a service once you go into this, this corporate space. And when I made my transition, it was post-COVID. And at least for me, I was at a place in my career where I was very, very much bumping up against that, that ceiling of as far as I was going to go in my K-12 career. So I was either going to stay where I was and kind of coast it out until retirement, or I was going to make a pivot and use my skills for something else. And at the time, uh, 
again, keeping COVID as the context, we had a lot of people that were ex exiting K-12, just like you said, and it was elevating other leaders in the technology space in K-12 that needed guidance. So the role that I stepped into in my corporate job was to be that type of advisor, that type of person that would come in and just listen and help and guide the new technology leaders that were just sprouting up all over the place. And it's been a lot of fun. I, I mean, I still enjoy it. I, there's there's a whole lot of lessons that I learned, uh, especially, you know, just being in the game for a long time and through all the challenges of COVID, all of the things that we tried, all the things that failed. And it was just a really good time for me to make that change and say, hey, let me sit shoulder to shoulder to you and save you a few sleepless nights. This is how we did it. This is how it was wrong. This is how it was right. Let me help you, you know, as you make some of your decisions. So with people that are thinking, you know, right now, sitting in K-12 and looking at that opportunity to possibly go into ed tech, number one, no judgment, because obviously I'm one of those people that made that transition, but I know that there is sometimes this, I don't know, this guilt, this pull about leaving K-12 and going into a, a corporate job. And I just wanna, you know, put my arms around those folks and say, you do you. If you are feeling that pull, pull, if you are feeling that you wanna make a transition, it is a 1000% personal decision. So if you're feeling burned out in one space and another thing is looking attractive to you, that's all it takes. You, you have now made your decision once you are already going down that path. but you do have to learn how to make yourself marketable. There is a big difference between the mindset in K-12 and the corporate world where it is up to you to put your talents out there on display and you know have it packaged in a way that's going to benefit whatever company, whatever organization that you're hoping to join. So there's nobody that's going to knock on the door and just say, hey, Will, you know, we heard that you are just a fabulous person. Here is this fantastic job on a platter and you're just, we, we just want to pull you on in. No, you have to put yourself out there. You've got to start speaking up. You've got to market yourself. You've got to make sure that you are the person that is going to fill a gap in whatever it is that they are hoping to service that they're hoping to provide. And in the, the, the corporate space, it's you constantly have to sharpen your talents. You constantly have to make sure that, that not only are you sharpening your talents, but you're putting it out there for other people to see and how is it going to benefit whatever the organization is. So it's, it's, it's different. K-12, we kind of do the work. We don't ask for anything in return. We accept whatever is available and smile about it. That's there. There, there is a, a big culture of altruism in K twelve that we we all adopted at whatever point. But it's not like that outside of K twelve. You do have to hustle. You do have to. You do have to speak up for yourself and make sure that you are the one. You are the name that other people are talking about when you're not in the room. Mm. And at some point, you decided that 
you wanted to be an entrepreneur. You want to take mm -hmm. those skills, that experience, that knowledge mm -hmm. base that you had garnered as an educator and take it into that entrepreneurial realm where you could then uh, make that impact, but also make that income. What were you seeing in schools and, mm -hmm. and missing in the marketplace that led you to launch your company, Upskill Services? Well, still coming out of that COVID boom, and, and it's almost sad for me to say it, and, and I know some people will be like, Ugh, but that is an industry that experienced just an explosion because of COVID. It was it existed before COVID, but more eyes were on online learning and e-learning in particular due to COVID in the K-12 space. E-learning and online learning has been a very profitable industry for years and years in other industries. So in the corporate space, in the high ed space, they are areas that have embraced all forms of online learning. But K-12 was resistant and we, we favored traditional classroom settings. We favored traditional teaching methods and COVID disrupted all of that. So I saw when I started, you know, part of my background in K-12 was in online learning early, early on in its infancy, when we were doing credit recovery, when we were doing uh, any students that were in, you know, alternate, when I say alternative settings, you assume that it's students with, with, with uh, challenges and behavior problems, but students that may have been, you know, Olympic athletes, or they were actors, performers, or whatever, and they just could not go to traditional schools with a, a set schedule. They had to have something that was more flexible. So that was that was a service that was, uh, you know, it was available for, for kids that didn't quite fit that traditional model. So when COVID hit and everyone had to go remote, it was, it was an experiment. And once K-12 was able to go back to a regular schedule, go back into their buildings. Everything we tried, everything that we experimented with as far as technology is concerned, as far as virtual learning is concerned, we kindly pushed that back into the closet and decided, okay, that's done. You know, glad that's over and went back to our traditional classrooms. But there were some opportunities there that I think uh, have been missed. So like I said, when you go out into the corporate space, there's a whole lot that you're going to continue to do that is virtual. There's a whole lot of trainings that you're going to have to take advantage of that will be online. There's tons of compliance things, tons of business that you will have to do that fits into that e-learning category. And if you don't know how to motivate yourself. If, you, if your students are having difficulty navigating in that online space, we've done them a disservice in K-12. So I've spent the past year, that's which I'm at my one year anniversary with Upskill Services. So I am hoping to, to be a bit of an ambassador and just help other K-12 folks see that there's a lot of opportunities there, a lot of money to be made. Let me be upfront. My mission is to make sure that people know that they can make some money over here. 
I'm following that path. I, I am very just open and unashamed to say that I want teachers to make more money. I don't necessarily want you to leave K-12. If you choose to leave K-12, that is a personal choice, but you can do both. You can do this over here. You can serve the kids and do the good work, but you can also have money coming in on the side if you decide to pursue something in that virtual space. Mm. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, uh, I love it. Because I always don't get myself in trouble. <laughs> but I always, you know, that's what I preach to teachers because, you know, you, you get on Twitter and you can drink the Kool-Aid and you can become enamored by mm -hmm. some of these, these companies who are like, hey, you know, we think you dope. Mm -hmm. Um, would you be a part of of this program? And there's no compensation. There's a t-shirt, there's a pair of socks, there's a sticker. You just took those words out of my mouth. Right. <laughs> and you just took those words out of my mouth. With that, they'll say, Hey, will you know, uh, are you gonna be at ISTE where you come to our booth and present? Or will you lead this Twitter chat or will you write a blog post for our site? And you know, people again, you know, and, and I drank a little Kool-Aid in the beginning myself until Google put some salt in my mm. cup. Mm. Right? Because mm -hmm. as as the first GEG leader for Mississippi, mm -hmm. and I mean they had us once a month had to put on an event or do something, and then there was a form you had to go out and fill out and send it to Google. Mm -hmm. And if you didn't do it, Google would email you and say, hey, what's going on? And then I got to a point of saying, listen, can a brother get a check? Because if you're expecting this type of work from me, then I don't care about being GEG Mississippi leader because that's not paying my mortgage. Yeah, yeah. And so... Ooh, when you said that, I'm like, oh, yes, uh, because it's easy, you know, get caught up. You're like, oh, Google chose me. You know, Nearpod yes. chose me. And I'm like, yes. mm -mm. If, yeah. listen, if they chose you, they chose you for a reason. Absolutely. Right. And so you Absolutely. need to capitalize on that reason and then be willing to walk away to say no if there is no money on the table. Yeah, and, and everything that you're describing, definitely the early days of ed tech, I think we were just thrilled and we felt special because these big brands recognized our talents. And yes, if you're in the K-12 space, you are somebody that is, you know, building up your skill set, getting a name for yourself. You go the route that feels good for you. However, you do have the power to negotiate. You also have the power to do it on your own. So, you know, being in collaboration with these big brands, it is fantastic. You can get a lot of perks from it. There, there's, there's a lot that they need from those authentic K-12 voices. But 
there are things that you can just open up and say, hey, I, I, I need, these are the things that I'm looking for. Be very upfront about it. And our conversations with them help shape what those packages look like. They help shape what the future of these types of collaborations are going to look like. It doesn't always have to be so one-sided, but remember in this, in this K-12 industry, we have been very used to a culture of accepting whatever was offered. And in some situations, it, that's as good as it's going to get, you know, like when you are going into a, a teacher role or a principal role over, uh, the salary is what it is. You're not going to be able to say, hey, well, I want equity. There's no equity in a K-12 <laughs> job, you know, or I want, you know, stock options. No, that does not exist in K-12. However, there are other things that that you do have the power to speak up for. And like I said, the future, the, 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 the collaborators that are coming into those conversations right now, we need to make sure that they understand that power that they have. I hear, I hear. It's, listen, I've had a couple of interviews with some folks and I'm telling you, I not look, get myself in trouble. Because <laughs> one company, you know, they were like, well, what is your salary demand? And I was like, 85,000. And she gave me a look like, oh, but I'm looking at her going like, mm -mm. I, mm -hmm. I, even though as a, as an educator, you make all your money up front and they just spread it out. Mm -hmm. I still am not showing up, you know, in June and all this other stuff. I'm still getting these other time off. Yes. Uh, even though I know I've earned my check up front. Mm -hmm. But when you are also bringing me in, uh, you, you've recognized something in my resume to bring me in and have that conversation. And then on top of that, you want to say, hey, this is a pretty much 12-month job mm -hmm. with a longer day and you want to pay me nothing. And and, and I know it's not nothing, but, but, but I'm just saying, I'm looking at my K through 12 salary. Yeah, yeah. And then you want to bring me in to do the work you want me to do where I have deliverables and these are different type of deliverables, deliverables mm -hmm. people, because you could be on a schedule where they say, well, you have to work with this many clients, have to do this many calls, have to deliver this many trainings, have to do this many stuff. So when you have all of that stacked up and you, you're you going like, oh, here's 60000 mm. Right, right. We don't roll for the 60. Uh, now, yeah. I didn't get called. I didn't look. They didn't offer me the job, but I did say 85 because I wasn't going to take 60. Right, right. For that amount of work, that's not gonna happen. Uh, but you know, I, it, again, it's for everyone to decide what do you want to do, and that sixty may be something that can take you to the next gig where it is eighty five or it is ninety. Exactly. Uh, I just know that at my age, sixty ain't gonna cut it. Yeah, <laughs> and and you know, going back to that uh, conversation about multiple income streams let's just say you've got the we'll stick with the 60 and there are the requirements that come with that 60 and just the example that you're setting right here 10 seasons in the game with your Dr. Will show there's no limits on how far you can go with that there's no limits on the collaborations that you can establish any brand uh, endorsements that may come along with that. There's no limit to that piece. So you, you have the day job, you have a set limit of what the K-12 organization is able to offer you. But 
your creative space, what you do in your own time, how you maximize your talents in your own time, that is limitless. And that is something that I am going to champion for a very long time is you can make your time worth money. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, that, that, you know, with that podcast, like you mentioned earlier, I don't advocate for educators to leave the classroom to do this thing full time. Mm-hmm. I'm just here to have these conversations right. with the information out there and let you make that personal decision Absolutely. on which route you are going to take. I just wanted to create a platform where educators uh, can learn about, well, how do I take this knowledge that I already have and create other, other avenues you know, for myself where I can, again, make different streams of income and do all of these wonderful things and tap in. And first I tell people, just tap into the why to why you became an educator in the first place. But I've had guests on, you know, the TPT TPT store pay for her European honeymoon. I was like, hey, you do yes. that thing, you do that thing, and other people making the money. So it's it's been awesome to have have these conversations. And with that, your company, Upskill Services, what is your mission, and what are the main services and products you offer to your clients? Well, the main bread and butter service that I offer is actually to small business owners. And just by luck of the draw, all 100% of the small business owners that I've worked with to date in my first year have been women. And they usually have some type of service-based business where they do a lot of one-to-one work, whether it is coaching, whether it is training, or some type of consulting service. And they want to be able to scale whatever that is. And when you are one person, when you are a solopreneur, you can't scale yourself very easily. You can't clone and multiply yourself to be able to take on more clients. You still only have 24 hours in the day and you just have one hour at a time to work with each of those people. So when they come to me, they're usually saying, I want to create some type of course. And I'm going to use that course to sell as some type of automated second stream of income while I still take one-to-one clients. And so building those courses is the service that I provide to them. And that's been fantastic because I come swoop in like a superhero and download all of the knowledge from their brains into a digital course. And they set whatever price that they want. They put it on whatever platform that they want. And It can go on and on and on and sell while they're sleeping or, you know, be able to take some time off from their one to one work and still have this other money coming in. So that that's one offer that I have. The second is a brand new thing that I just did. Uh, It actually launches this week, this next week, where I built an online course that is helping current classroom teachers that are interested in making the transition into some type of virtual career. And it is uh, just, I I have it, this was something that I actually offered back uh, in December, Uh, really just as, you know, those people that are kind of curious, like we were talking about, you're kind of on that fence about, you know, do I stay in K-12 or do I retire? Do I do the ed tech thing or whatever? This is just to, to give people a little bit of a starter training, personal development, 
for them to dip their toes in and understand what online learning is, understand what virtual instruction is, and they can decide for themselves, is this what I want to do? So that course, I've got a cohort that is starting, I don't know uh, when this podcast is going to air, but uh, we're starting that in a week. It's a four-week course. And once that is over with, I will actually be opening the doors to that course again in May. So uh, I could send you the information, uh, but that's going to be another opportunity for anyone that is interested in taking it. And it's me as the instructor. You get you get me and all of my uh, flawed wisdom and experience, but I'm definitely going to make it worth their while. Hmm. And how do you design and deliver an engaging, effective online course? Uh, because hmm. I know I've sat through some training uh, programs. I was hired uh, via this program to do create a website for them. Mm -hmm. And in doing that, I had to become an employee of the university. And when I did that, now I'm sitting here through all of these, these online modules uh, that require for new hires. And I'm some of that stuff, you know, it was like, Okay, I'm just watching these video scenarios play out, and then I have some questions to to click on, and I just move on. And so, you know, that's one thing. And then, of course, there's other different people who design, as you mentioned, these online courses uh, as a part of their offerings as a business. Mm -hmm. And some of that stuff can just be, you know, PDF, 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 whatever. And as an educator having an experience, we come to the table with a different different mm -hmm. lens, right? And so how do you do that, bringing in your experience as an educator with online learning? And what are some of the tools and platforms are you using to create these courses? Well, I'll go back and we were uh, asking first about uh, best design, best you know tips or whatever. One thing I will say is, it's kind of an oxymoron. When you're in a digital space, you wanna be cognizant of fostering as much human connection as possible. And when you're in a traditional in-person space, I say maximize as much as you can digitally to automate some tasks that are burning up a lot of your time. So it's, it's, it's kind of weird, you know, if you're digital, make sure you have the human connection. If you're already digital, I mean, if you're, you know, non-digital, automate some things with digital tools. So I feel like that's how you, you end up having the best experience either way. But one thing I will say is even coming from, you know, an ed tech background myself, and like you said, GEG, that whole world with uh, different big brands that are in the ed tech space, we spend a lot of time pushing little tools. We spent a lot of time with the new shiny things in saying, hey, this is going to be the thing. This is going to be the tool that's going to put education on its ear. And I now take all of that and I say, eh. if you're using an LMS, that is everything that you need, period. And you could tell me this LMS is better than that LMS. You know, this this platform for video conferencing is better than that platform for video conferencing. 
I use all of them on a daily basis. I literally live in the virtual world where I am touching all of these tools every hour of the day. They all do the same thing. They all do the same thing. So I, it's, it's kind of equating Coke versus Pepsi. If you like the Coke brand, go to town and drink your Coke. If you're a Pepsi fan, drink your Pepsi, but they're both colas. They both are going to get you, you know, quench your thirst. They're going to, you know, give you that sugar high that you're looking for. And that is pretty much where I am as far as external ed tech tools are. So if you are able to maximize whatever you have within your learning management system, you pretty much have everything you need. Now, if you do have other things that you want to explore, Go ahead and find a few that you can truly make your own, but you don't have to be on that hamster wheel constantly searching for the next great thing. And I will always advise any online educator and, you know, it's really in-person K-12 traditional educators as well to prioritize their needs in those digital tools first. I feel like, again, in that ed tech space, when you know, and I consider myself an OG, you know, when when the terminology ed tech and instructional technology first came around, I was in that role and nobody knew what the heck it was. You know, I had to constantly reintroduce myself and tell them what the, what I was doing, what my purpose was. But, you know, I, I still say if they if they maximize tools that make their jobs easier, it would you will see a greater adoption of those tools. So anything that is going to automate your task. And what are the things that, that teachers have to spend a lot of time doing? They have to spend a lot of time grading. They have to spend a lot of time uh, giving feedback that's very individualized. You want to differentiate your instruction. You want to have something that is going to provide uh you know, exemplars or rubrics or whatever to help the kids be able to take control over their outcomes, you can automate all of that with digital tools. And in automating some of your repetitive tasks, you free yourself up as an educator to be there to have the human connections with your students. So putting all the fun and shiny things in front of the kids, I feel like we need to reverse that a little bit. Make sure that the educators are able to maximize the tools to automate the, the tasks that, that bog them down. And then you make yourself, all of the magic that you have, you know, as an educator, you're now able to use that one-to-one, -one, human to human in that space. And I feel like that'll give us better outcomes. Mm. So what are some of the challenges and opportunities you, you face as an online learning provider, especially given the context of COVID-19 pandemic and its impact on education and work? Since, you know, a lot of us uh, had that experience of, of being online, there's a lot of people going remote. And as people are going through these online courses and you trying to get them where they're learning the information, right? They're providing evidence of their learning. But again, it doesn't feel like I'm just sitting at a computer, click, 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 click. Well, you know, and, and I'm glad you brought up the COVID context because many K-12 educators, their only experience with online instruction was during COVID remote learning. But I always like to clarify that what we experienced during COVID was not what online learning is capable of. 
what we did during COVID was by far, it was a crisis response. We were bleeding as a global society and we had to very quickly put a Band-Aid on the bleeding, but that didn't necessarily cure anything. That didn't necessarily stop the trauma. We pretty much just survived the bleeding for as long as we could until we could do a little bit better. And the remote learning experience put a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. It made people assume that this is a horrible experiment that will never ever work and we're damaging society. And it's just like, well, no, actually this is something that can be highly beneficial for certain segments of learners. Not everyone is going to enjoy an online learning experience, but there are there is a big enough segment of the population that is actively seeking that out. And I use myself as an example, I, I, you know, as an educator, you know, probably both of us, we've gone all the way through what traditional education offers. You, you, you are a student, then you, you know, become an educator, then you go all the way through and get all the degrees and certifications that you're supposed to get. You check all the boxes as a good educator, a good steward of education. But I can say right now, one of my degrees was completely online. And I would go back and do it again because for me and my lifestyle and my commitments and other family pressures at the time, online was the solution that worked for me. And majority of, uh, excuse me, high ed institutions are struggling to meet the demand of other people like myself that are coming saying, I cannot drive to your institution every week and sit in classes. I need to be able to do it online. I have a full-time job. I am a full-time caretaker or, or whatever the situation may be. So an online option is what people are seeking. And we're not the, you know, we're not 19 year olds that don't have any other responsibilities in the world. We needed to be flexible where I can take that exam at 11 PM right before I go to bed because that's the only time I was able to have some quiet in the house, you know, situations like that. So many of your world-class institutions, they're seeing the writing on the wall. They're like, if we're going to be able to keep up with our students slash customers, we've got to give them what they're asking for. And so to, to design learning experiences that are going to be more flexible, and in order to be more flexible, that means they're going to have to go virtual. And in going virtual, you attract students from anywhere. I don't necessarily have to live in Cambridge, Massachusetts to go to an Ivy League university anymore. I don't necessarily have to live in China to learn from a Mandarin teacher. I don't have to, you know, all of the different examples I, I could, you know, put out there for you. And it's just, you know, understanding that as a global society, these things are evolving very, very quickly. And we are actually contributing to that as educators that went back for graduate degrees, went back for doctorate degrees. We did it in a virtual, in, in most cases, a virtual setting. And the average person that is trying to learn any new skill right now, we're seeking those answers online before we go to a library or a bookstore mm -hmm. and open it up on, on the pages. So mm -hmm. it's just, it, it, it's, it's, it's a way to understand that this, this, is, this is ubiquitous. It is around us, no matter what, when we're seeking knowledge, we're going online first. 
And how do we as trained, certified educators take advantage of that and become a part of that wave instead of sitting back on the sidelines as purists and saying, oh, that's not real teaching. That's not real learning. It's like, eh, that, yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you then work with educators in that mindset, right? In shifting to teaching online or to how to be better or best leverage what teaching online can look like? Well, teachers have access to all the professional development, period. I mean, in within their school districts, within their own learning management systems, they have what school districts need them to do in a, you know, in, in mass, pretty much. But what I offer is personal development, one-to-one -one with the individual teacher. I'm not trying to change the minds of the masses. The people that have already decided that this is an option that they're interested in, they're going to seek that solution out. So I'm not, I don't necessarily have to go in and convince you that, hey, you need a change. You already know you need a change by the time you come to me. And I'm just saying, let me take that curiosity and let's package it into a way that you can get further down your path. So what I do is a lot of different things. I mean, I can help teachers with their digital strategy. Right now with the course that I'm offering, it is targeted at veteran teachers that have been in the, the field for a while. They might be a little bit burned out, but they're not ready to go home and retire. Mm. They know they still have something to offer, but they might have some at some point missed the wagon on learning all the digital stuff. So I look at people that are, you know, like myself, they're at midlife. They know I'm still still good. I'm still, you know, very clear on all that I can offer, but I just don't know how to do it with all these newfangled tools that are out there. It's too much. I'm overwhelmed or whatever. And I'm like, invest in this, invest in yourself. Let's take it to a basic level of where you are. I'm not going to teach you about all of the traditional things that you already know about in the classroom. I'm going to honor your experience and then marry that with the basic digital tools that you need to understand in order to market yourself in a new field. Because remember, they're, they're not used to putting themselves out there and saying, hey, look at me, this is what I have, this is my value, this is all the wonderfulness that I can bring to the table for your organization. They're not used to, to, to doing that. They're not used to championing for themselves. They're, 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 there's more of a service mindset in K-12 but if you're going to go into this digital space, I need you to be your cheerleader. I need you to speak up and be that bad chick that is going to say, yeah, I have all of this. I am special. I am the woman. I am the man. And here's what I can offer. But one of the things that I also like to make sure is that before they get out there and start applying for things or trying to you know, move into another space, you've got to go back and take inventory of everything you've done all of your skills, everything that, that, that you need to package and say, this is who I am and this is what I offer. And the first conversation that I have with folks that usually is met with dead silence is when's the last time you updated your resume? And people are like, um, well, when I got this job, 
which was 15 years ago, which was 20 years ago, when you were printing it out on a paper and physically handing it to someone across a table. And I was like, okay, we start there. You know, We start thinking about what have you done? What have you as an individual contributed? And you know, what, what, what are the things that can be measured about what you contributed? And that is, that's a hard piece for people to understand is that it's not just that I did bus duty or that I organized the field trips. How are you more efficient? What processes did you create that made this go better? You know, what money did you save the district? What budget did you meet? What deadlines did you, uh, you know, get to ahead of schedule? Things like that, that you can actually attach some measurements to. And even though in education, we, we, have all of these wonderful things that we can go on with all of our stories. I tell people shrink that resume down to two pages mm. and their jaw drops like two pages. I've been working here for 25 years. I've done it. Oh, honey, <laughs> we don't care what you did 14 years ago. We care what you did in the last decade. And we're going to rock the heck out of whatever it is that you did in the last 10 years. And that's, that's another piece. The other thing is keeping digital portfolios, which simple website, which you just mentioned, you know, updating websites for people, start your own website, find, find your name by that domain and start putting your cool stuff on there. That is your calling card to show people, here's what I can do. Here's who I am. And you got to get out there and network. You've got to Make sure that people know who you are. Traditional formats where you actually go to in-person events and places where you can show your stuff off in uh, virtual settings as well. But the main thing is that you cannot sit still and wait for someone to come and knock on your door with an opportunity. You have to go out there and find and create those opportunities for yourself. You've got the talents, you've got all the skills, you've got all the education. And now we just need to pretty much Venn diagram down to where your talents meet a market need. And then we attach a dollar value to that. Mm. And earlier you mentioned about self-investment. When educators are looking to do that, barring what their school district may have them do or, or require uh, to get how should educators begin to look at some of these ed tech certifications that are out there? Because some folks collect them like NASCARs badges, right? They, they, you know, they're like, I'm a Apple teacher. I'm a Microsoft person. I got my, my Google and all of this. And, and I, I don't, is that the best way to do it? Now, if you, to me, I guess if you, if you're planning on staying in the classroom mm -hmm. and you're working for a school district, sort of having that breath, mm -hmm. I think can, can be beneficial. But if oh, you are absolutely. at, right? So, but when you're at a point of saying, hey, I'm now trying to either transition to an ed tech uh, company or I'm going to transition to become an entrepreneur and then I'm going to offer these type of services. I'm going to be coaching. I'm going to be training. I'm going to be offering these type of programs how should teachers go about now saying, listen, I'm going to, I need to look at only getting Google certifications and working that way, 
I'm only going to do Apple that way. How, how should they sort of take a step back and, and say, I need to focus on something and, and, and go deep into that versus just having it all? Well, it does depend, like you said yourself, if you're planning to stay in K-12 100%. Uh, all of those different certifications. Number one, I'm a fan of certifications, but certifications that are transferable into other spaces. So if you're going to, I'm going to say Pear Deck, if you're going to go and your, your job is to go and work for Pear Deck, then getting that Pear Deck certification, of course, is going to be a must. But if you're planning to do something that is a little more broad, that is a little more universal, and you're going deep, 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 deep in Pear Deck or in one tool, then that might not be the wisest decision. But I, I want people to, number one, the certifications are, are easily available. You don't have to spend a lot of money. And I'm speaking as someone that has gone the full you know, route, you and I both, of getting the doctoral degrees. And knowing what I know now, sometimes I wonder, would I have done the same thing? Would I have gone the same path? if I would have started down entrepreneurship first. And I'm seeing the certifications today, the Google certifications, the Microsoft, the technical certifications are having a lot of weight as far as getting people recognized. But again, those are the big brands. Those are the big names that are used both in education, in industry, in healthcare, everywhere. So I know that investment is going to come back to me in some way, but is that power school certification going to do it? Is that, you know, a specific ed tech tool? It depends on where you want to go. But one thing I will say to anybody that is trying to break out there to, to do their thing, to get recognized, be strategic. Don't just get the thing. Don't be super knowledgeable just because it's cute. Have a long-term plan of where that is going to land you. You know, don't necessarily just go for this thing because it's in it's in vogue right now. Is that going to be a step along the path into the ultimate goal that you want to reach? And if it's not, you could be wasting your time. You know, it could just be the flavor of the moment. And it not lead anywhere. And then you've dedicated, you know, six months, two years, five years of your career to really going deep on this one thing, but you didn't really have a plan of how it was going to elevate you financially or career wise. So I would tell people just to be, be not so short-sighted. Like I said, don't just go for the t-shirt. <laughs> Try to have a plan of this being the first step of many of where mm. you want to be. Mm. Another gym, people. <laughs> Ooh, oh, yes. Yes. I, you know, like you, hey, I got, got a lot of that stuff. And I think, again, it's just mostly related to my position with my district and being able to have these things uh, to where that I have just a greater knowledge of all these tools in general because our teachers are using these. And then I want to be able to say, hey, you know, as I'm working with you on this, I, I know a little something, something, you know, let's let's make this happen. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, again, I like what you say that you 
want to think about the long-term goal in terms of what you are focusing on. Cause I, I like that. Cause that even applies to, to, to life just to go on a tangent for a little bit. It's like in your twenties, you don't make decisions for your twenties. You make decisions for your forties and fifties. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so future self. Understand some of the moves you're making. What are the ramifications for right. when you're 45? It ain't about, you know, I'm doing my, dun, 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 you know, right now, you know, you don't want to wake up at 40 and be like, oh, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> right. What happened? So the same thing with your career. And so I'm pretty sure at this point, uh, people have reached out to you uh, via social media or they, they've seen you at a conference. And they're like, Dr. Akila, I love what you're doing. <laughs> how can I get there? You know, I, I want to do a little something, something. You know, how you get there? Uh, what do you tell other teachers about how they can take their passion to identify their niche in the education market? Because, again, people, I always talk about niching down on this podcast because yes. as an educator, we got to do it all mm -hmm. in the classroom, right? You, you, as a teacher, academic coach, instructional technologist, whatever, you ain't got one job. You got one title, but you ain't got one job. You're doing a whole bunch of stuff. However, when you get into this corporate space, this entrepreneurial space, you have to have that specialization to stand apart. And also it helps you with focus. Like, why would you want to create a business and have all of this stuff that you got to create materials for and slide decks for and programs for and, and, and just putting all your time and effort into something that ain't going to bring you no money in return. Right, right. So in talking to these 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 educators who approach you, um, what steps should they take to validate that MVP to launch their business? You hit the nail on the head when you said about in the classroom, we kind of have to know how to do everything. We as educators are the supreme generalists. We got to know just something about any and every little thing and be able to spin all of those plates in the air, juggle all the balls in the air, just good enough, basically. But specifically when you are going into entrepreneurship, You've got to figure out what is the unique talent, the unique skill, the unique process that you possess that can get someone results. And it doesn't have to be something that's super general. If you're talking super, super general and you think, oh, everybody needs this or anyone would be interested in this, nobody is going to hear you because you will fade into the background of a bunch of noise. You want to be very, very specific, niche it down to your specialty area, whatever that may be. And you talk directly to that person. And once you find that audience, once people realize that you are the expert in that one niche field, you then become the guy. You become the one that is you know, like we, the horse whisperer or the, the, you know, the podcast whispering. You want to be the person that is so unique that they don't think of, they equate your name with whatever that service is or whatever that unique skill is. And I, I, you have to take inventory of your own skills, your background or whatever. And, and I will look at 
any ELA teachers, English, reading, you know, teachers like that. If you possess the skill of being able to teach another human being how to read and write, there's a superpower there. There's multiple superpowers there. And in this today's world where our, you know, younger generations are coming up really just knowing how to send abbreviated text messages and being, you know, you have a, just so many business opportunities attached to that. And I just use that one example just to go off on a tangent. But one thing that I want to always tell people is that you have to do some internal work and think of what are the things that, that you're uniquely talented with or a skill, like I said, or a process that, that you have created. Is there a market for it? Are there people that need that? Are there people, colleagues, industries? that need whatever that process is. And then figure out a way, is it possible to attach a dollar value to that? And before you say, you know, anybody that's sitting out there that's a naysayer, but say, ah, I only know how to do this. Nobody's gonna want that. I always have the example playing in the back of my head. I don't know, if you, do you remember the Elizabeth Holmes story? And I think her mm -hmm. name was Elizabeth Holmes that went to, she was, oh, what was the CRISPR invention? The mm -hmm. tech, tech development and all that jazz. I, and I'm probably butchering the whole story. But one thing that stays in the back of my mind when people talk about, oh, I can't find my niche. I can't figure out what my thing is going to be. I say, Elizabeth Holmes, when she was convicted for whatever crimes, someone hired a prison consultant to work with her, to help her with her mindset before she went to serve her prison sentence. And I'm like, if you can create a coaching career out of helping people get ready to go to jail, the rest of us can figure out what kind of service we can provide. Somebody is willing to pay for your expertise, I promise you. Mm. And that's a high ticket item because I bet you only people with money <laughs> can pay for that type of coaching. Right. My, my, you know, my, my cousin from around the way couldn't afford that kind of coach. But, you know, wealthy wow. white collar criminals evidently can. Wow. That's all. Ooh, OK. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think Hulu made a movie about her and I watched it. So it was I was like, oh, mm -hmm. all right. Mm -hmm. All right. Hey, sometimes you got to have that confidence. You know, what mm -hmm. I'm saying? <laughs> you got to have that confidence. Oh, oh, I'm just going to do this. Yeah. That's the, yeah, and, and, and I'm sorry, cut you off. But it, I mean, that that's the big piece of it. And I mean, you know, I mean, heck, you're you you're ten seasons into this passion project. It was probably really different the way you felt turning on that microphone and inviting that first guest ten seasons ago. You probably were like, "Oh my God, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? Is anybody going to listen? Do I know what I'm talking about?" But then here you are 10 seasons later and it's like, it's just, it's just a thing. So you want to, you know, speak to the person that has all of this, that that's sitting inside of them. They know that they're ready for whatever that next step is. And they think, okay, I'm going to wait until I'm ready. I'm going to wait until I have this figured out. And that moment of feeling hundred percent ready of feeling like you're not going to be scared, that moment will never come. You will never, ever have it all figured out. But if you have an idea 
that this is a path that you want to follow down. Do it scared. Do it messy. But you got to start. And you can seek out mentors. You can listen to other people that are maybe two steps ahead of you, maybe 10% further down the path than you, and just listen and learn from their experiences. But the worst thing you can do if you have this idea and you want to go into some type of entrepreneurship or some type of uh, service, but any type of thing where you, you know, it's going to be a new scary thing. If you sit still, it will never happen. But if you put that first foot out there, that first toe out there beyond your comfort zone, things start to be clarified. Mm. Wow, people. <laughs> y'all, y'all gonna get a good one on this one. Uh, so before we go, a lot of people, you get on Twitter or you go to conferences and you see the Dr. Alexander, you see the Dr. Sarah Thomas, mm -hmm. uh, you see Matt Miller, you, you, you see Angela Myers, you see all these people and you see, not that they're not still growing and learning, but you see a product that has taken them years to build and craft and innovate and iterate. And it may be overwhelming to that individual who's seeing that and they're, and they're thinking, I want to do that, but, 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 and you just spoke about how there is no perfect time. You got to do it. But I want you to, to share with the audience uh, some of the setbacks that you face as an entrepreneur and how do you not chase that shiny dollar? Mm -hmm. And if you got your ear to the ground, you know, when these trends hit and you can all, you can make a quick dollar right quick. But yeah. that quick dollar may not be a part of your ministry. Yeah. So how do you stay true to in in, in, in alignment with what you were supposed to do? Uh, share that with the audience. Well, I am of the opinion that your first idea is going to be the most flawed, imperfect idea, period. But is it enough to get you out of your seat and get you started? Mm. Usually the answer is yes. So you follow that. You, you have to get out the gates. And I know you talked about, you know, your MVP. Sometimes your MVP is truly just that. It is just the first thing that you feel somewhat confident sharing with another person. And you don't necessarily have to go, you know, all out, you know, online. Here I am. I am the you know, tech queen, this or that, you don't necessarily have to go that route. And you mentioned going to the conferences and I'm going to make a point about that. You can just have a colleague that's right there in your own department. You can have a peer, a girlfriend, a cousin or whatever that is struggling with whatever that thing is that you know you can help them with. Figure that process out. Break it down into steps. Make it super digestible for somebody that is feeling overwhelmed with whatever that problem is and test it out. So, you know, call up your, your friend that is down the hall in the fourth grade wing and just say, Deborah, 
you and me are going to sit down and I'm going to work with you on this thing, you know, and just see what, you know, is it working? Where is it that this person is struggling? I now know the key. I now know the secret word. I know the past to, to get you over this hump and just take notes. You know, what, what is it that is making them feel calmer? What is it that is helping them reach clarity? And you now have something that you could package and sell to the next person and then the next person and the next person. And you get better at it every time that you have the next client. It's going to constantly refine itself naturally. So whatever you start off with at step one, it's going to look a whole lot different at step 12. Whatever you start off with at day one is going to be a whole lot smoother at day 30 or year 30. But making sure that you understand that 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 fear of failure, because I was one of those people, you know, I was the good girl. I did everything that I was told. I followed the rules. If there was a five-step process to do something, I followed five steps. And then I went back and did all five steps again, you know, to make sure, you know, for good measure. But when you decide that you want to step out there and do something on your own, there's not going to be a set path. There is not mm. going to be a fully, a fully laid out, you know, step-by-step -step process for you to follow. You really have to just take the first step and then the next step will illuminate. Then the next step will illuminate. Then the next thing. But as long as you stay still, absolutely none of those experiences are going to come to you. You have to be willing to step out and try for that first time. One thing that that for me still, I struggle with this. And, and like I said, I'm only a year into the, the entrepreneurship piece. But I can tell you that the experiences that I've had in this first year in business has taught me probably more than any other time in my career. I could take, I, I was in K-12 for 25 years. So everything that I did and experienced in K-12, 25 years as an educator, and I rocked it, you know, I will toot my own horn. I was an excellent educator. I was an excellent di di uh, district leader, but I didn't take a lot of risk. I did exactly what was expected of me. And when I decided that, okay, I've got something that I want to do. I've got a service that I want to provide people. When I made the decision to, to found this, this business, there was nothing there that was saying, okay, Akila, this is step one. This is step 10. This is, you know, level 15. None of that existed. I had to figure that out for myself. And I grew so much. I, I shed so many layers of other people's expectations because it was all about me at that point. And that personal development is what I wish for everyone. When, when, when I talk to someone that for the first time, they're able to see that, that this, this money earning potential is completely within their power, that this creative control is completely within their power. That is spiritual. You know, it is, it is a moment where when you see someone light up and realize how powerful they are, that is what I live for. That, that, I mean, aside from taking the check, but, <laughs> but helping other people step into their own light, that is magical. That's all right. And people, you're going to get that guide. I actually have a book coming out end of next month titled The Entrepreneur. Your blueprint to jumpstart 
and scale your education business. Being published by EduMatch Publishing. Uh, so, hey, tell me, y'all. I talk about, <laughs> you know, the book starts out about the conversation. You have Shout to have with to yourself. Sarah Thomas when you mention EduMatch. <laughs> That's right. Doc, help, help the brother out. Uh, That's right. This is... I'm I'm so happy ab about about this book and congratulations. Some, well, thank you, thank you, Alhamdulillah. Have some endorsements from some big business people outside of education, and I got some education folk with some endorsements as well. And this is a business book written for educators. So again, it's not about sixty apps and sixty minutes or how do you use Google. This is about talking about niching down. Mm -hmm. And creating creating your signature offer, uh, using content to become a thought leader, so that you position yourself and market yourself as an authority, so that you can attract clients. Uh, how do you incorporate your business, right? And what did that what does that look like? Do you use a registered agent? All right. So this book, y'all. Mm, mm, <laughs> Can, can you put, put, put me down for a copy? <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll do. We'll do. So I'm excited about that. Uh, again, end of the end of next month. Spoke with Dr. Sarah about that today. And as soon as that cover coming out, going to be sharing that bad boy. So y'all get as excited as I am. And, and so I'm glad that you talked about that because that was my sort of goal because when when you first start this thing especially for educators who you don't have a degree in business you didn't work in business like how do I do this and a lot of educators uh like myself just sort of stumbled into this mm -hmm. you know you you you're presenting at conferences you're doing all this stuff and then someone kind of pokes you on the shoulder and say hey well you come to our school district and do this and you're like uh, yeah, yeah, yes. but you yes. don't. You ain't got no business. You don't, you have no business strategy. You don't even know anything about pricing. You just say, "Yeah, I'll do it," and then they'll say fifteen hundred. You may go, "Okay," because you don't know any better. You don't know any better. You know what I'm saying? You don't know any better. Uh, and then you get out there, and you still may not be, again be operating as a business. Uh, not only legally. But strategically to understand, like, look, you need to really, and I know I'm a little, this might be a little tension a little bit, but you need to form a network where you're talking to Dr. Akila, mm -hmm. you, you're, right? you're talking to Dr. Sarah, you're talking to Dr. Alexander and all these people, uh, Eric and all them folk, and kind of, and get an idea of what is being paid. Yes. All right, so you don't get hit with the okie doke, and, and that you don't give away your intellectual property for free. Oh, mm -mm. <laughs> it, 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 you know, and, and I have in total tangent because uh, yes. one thing that I've taught, uh, I had a free masterclass that I hosted uh, last month, and one thing that I tell people up front. Glad you're here. I'm going to teach you and give you all the knowledge that you are hoping to gain but you will not get a copy of this slide deck. And they're like, what? I'm used to people just emailing me the PowerPoint. I'm just like, oh, no, 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 no. Because what I'm using, I've got subscriptions. 
I have uh, spent hours putting this together. I have uh, paid for the rights to use certain images. So this PowerPoint costs money for me to put together. So no, I'm glad you're here and I'm gonna give you everything that you need, but this is my property. So that is a choice that I make and I like to educate them that you also have a choice. You don't have mm. to give everything away for free. I know in K-12, that is the expectation that we just do things for the love of educating other people. But once you are out there in the hustle, in the business for yourself, you start to look at it a lot differently. I hear you. I hear you. But we don't, I don't know if we are not conscious of it, but I tell educators, you don't work at their school district for free. Right? If they told you for the next three months, you would not be getting a check. Are you going to show up? Because I know I'm not. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, so I you agree. know, so even though you have this love and this passion for what you're doing, uh, it's still a, understand you are a business of one and your school district is a business. And even though they might not call themselves a business, but your school district has payroll mm -hmm. and your school district uh, has to you, whether it's funding they get from the state, funding they get from the city, funding they get from the federal government or even outside sources. All of that is used to operate that school district as well as have money for reserves because mm -hmm. they are required to have reserve money on hand. And if that school district can't make them books balance and stuff look the right way, guess what? Yeah. Some teacher units... Yes. Could be on the chopping block. And guess what? They have and are on the chop chopping block where you yep. may say, well, we had five English teachers last year. You may only have four the next. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with school districts, one piece I like to educate folks about is I don't want to vilify way, the way that K-12 organizations have to run because, yes, they are in the business of educating children. However, you just made a very good point. There's a whole lot of bills on that budget and paying your paycheck, paying for your services. is just one thing. It's a big chunk of the budget, but it is only one piece. So when, when I hear people getting down on, oh, schools can't do this or they refuse to do that, I'm just like, they actually are constrained with the way they're funded. They are constrained uh, on certain legislative elements. So they have to take care of themselves, but you have to take care of yourself. Ooh. So you you have a limit of what a school district is able to pay, or it doesn't have to be a school district, it could be a charter organization, private school, whatever. There is a limit on what they can provide you financially. There is no limit on what you can do for yourself as an entrepreneur. So if, you, if you're able to balance both, if you could stay in the K-12 world and have something on the side, I consider that the most winning combination. Yes, and on that note, we out of here. I love it, I love it, I love it. Thank you, Dr. Keely, for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me. I enjoyed it. You are welcome. Now, people, you know how I do this. This podcast episode is going to be on Apple Podcasts. Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, Spotify, and Audible. 
I need you to subscribe and to share with your network. And though I'm on all major podcast platforms, I'm trying to grow on Apple Podcasts. So don't, hey, subscribe, but listen to people because they check that and leave me some stars and some reviews because I'm trying to be found and I'm trying to get Oprah on the show because I want to know that we're doing big things around here. And as soon as Oprah come on the show, I'm quitting. <laughs> Quit. Because I know. Do you think? Do you think? I know. It's going to be next level time. <laughs> uh, so I want to I'm, I'm out. Uh, so people, again, i like to thank you. We just got another episode of Dr. Will's show, The Mobile University of Entrepreneurs. And to thank you, my guest, Dr. Akila Willery, for dropping so many gems. As always, people, invest in you, EDU, peace.